The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. And I think of folks who are in difficult situations, maybe in closed countries in their Christian or other places that are very hostile to the story of Jesus. I think Nicodemus and Joseph kind of speak for folks like that, like when's the wisest time to speak out? With Palm Sunday upon us, we'll be considering the characters of Easter on this edition of First Person, Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Our guest is Dan Darling, and the conversation begins in just a moment. I hope you'll take a few moments to visit us online, where you'll find not only more about today's guest, but also be able to explore a long list of past guests and hear their stories through our interviews. At firstpersoninterview.com, you'll find the audio archive and a schedule of guests coming up in the weeks ahead. Of course, you can also listen via podcast on many podcast platforms or with our free smartphone app available in your app store when you search for First Person Interview. Also, visit febc.org to learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company who makes these weekly conversations possible. Dan Darling spoke with us back at Christmas time about the characters in the Christmas story, and today he's back with biblical character sketches of people in what we call the Easter story. In addition to being an author, Dan is now with the National Religious Broadcasters, and we began by talking about his new role. Yeah, so I was at uh, the ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, for about six and a half years. Had a great time, worked with a great team there, and uh, just you know felt like the Lord was calling me to to a new season somewhere. And I, you know, I've always loved Christian media and Christian radio. You know, I think growing up in the Chicago area, listening to Moody radio, listening mm-hmm. to guys like Wayne Shepard. <laughs> um, uh, are you one of those guys going to tell me you grew up listening to me now? That's what you're going to say there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I've always loved Christian media and just, it's been formative in my life. And so I thought this was a really cool opportunity to, um, to be part of an organization that's really important, you know. And if you think about the breadth of Christian media, it's not, it's, you know, radio and TV are still very strong, very, very vital. But then you also have a lot of digital mm-hmm. mediums. You've got film, you've got uh, all these people producing really good content and churches, you know, in this COVID environment. Right. A lot of churches, small, medium sized churches that didn't see themselves as media, mm-hmm. all of a sudden had to pivot. And a lot of those are going to, are going back to gathering but they still want to do the digital yeah. media stuff. So we want to be there to help equip them. An explosion of podcasts, for instance, and that's yeah. a big part of NRB now. Well, specifically, what is your job, Dan? So I'm the senior vice president for communications. So uh, manage our communications and in terms of our public relations and uh, a lot of our uh, website and content. And then I'm, you know, rela- I'm a relationship guy, so... I know a lot of the members and trying mm-hmm. to get to know more of them and, and trying to represent NRB when right. I do media and and all those sorts of things. So, well, Like many trade to, associations, I, the annual convention was uh, delayed this year. It normally mm-hmm. takes place in February or March, and obviously we, were, we just came under the wire in 2020, and in 2021 that just wasn't wise to go ahead. So it's been delayed, and we can uh, tell people now that the uh, the 2021 convention is planned for June in Dallas. Yeah, we're excited about it. the Lord's been good to us. We were one of the last Christian gatherings to be held before COVID. Um, in fact, when we were packing up last year, 
you know, they were canceling left and right. And then ours was slated for March. We felt we could do a good convention in March, uh, but we people's comfort level wasn't quite there. And mm-hmm. we felt like if we're going to have the convention, we want to have it as good as we can do it. So June is a really good date. The hotels were good with us. And we're, we're hearing a lot of excitement. People are really ready to come gather and network. And you know this way, having done... Uh, being on the board and just being a part of NRB for so long. The unique thing about NRB, the content's going to be really great yeah. across all these different mediums and advocacy work and all that stuff. But it's the networking. Yes. You know, there's no, I tell people there's nowhere to go like NRB where if you want to be involved in Christian media and you want to meet people and you want to get your message out, there's no better place to be. Yeah. Four or 5,000 people gathered together. And uh, it, you're right. That's one of the main uh, values uh, of the convention. So uh, where do people go if they want information about the June conference coming up? So it's June 21st to the 25th. It's at the Gaylord uh, Texan in Dallas. And you go to nrbconvention.org. And actually, this is the early bird season. So if you sign up now, it, you save well, that's not the reason I asked you to be on First Person today, Dan. You know the reason, because uh, yes. a couple of years ago, we sat down and talked about your book, The Characters of Christmas, and we actually re-aired that this past Christmas, so our listeners uh, may remember that. But now you've written The Characters of Easter, and I, I just was delighted in reading this book. I thought it was an excellent book, and I want our listeners to, to know about this, and I wanted to dialogue with you about it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, I've always loved character profiles. Uh I remember listening in college to Chuck Swindoll preaching these great character profiles of these Bible characters and just, you know, have making them come alive. And, you know, the Bible is full of all these ordinary people that were caught up in uh, the story of, of God, story of Jesus. And so Easter's like that, just like Christmas. Easter has these characters like Peter and John and uh, think of Pilate or you think of uh, the religious leaders, the women who, or the, the you know, the women who, or witnesses at the tomb. So I wanted to kind of help people see Easter through their eyes. Yeah. But when you wrote this book, we were all in uncharted territory. This was uh, Easter time 2020 when you wrote this book mm-hmm. is when we were right in the throes of of this new thing called COVID-19 and the coronavirus, the pandemic, if you will. Um, how did that affect your writing on, on this book? You know, it made Easter come alive more to me. I mean, I obviously every year Easter's so special. I mean, for Christians, this is, this is everything, right? This is it. It's yeah. also, right. If Paul says, if, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're, we should be pitied of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this year, I think because we all had to celebrate Easter at home, we couldn't gather. And the gathering is such a big part of it, right? People dressing up, people coming to church, um, Good Friday services and Easter services and, and all those things. And we couldn't do that. Um, and we are also more acutely aware of our mortality with the COVID-19 uh, virus and death all around us. And one of the things that Easter gives us is the ugliness of a broken world and the unjust death of Jesus. But it also gives us the hope uh, for the uh, broken world that Jesus' death and resurrection is the death of death. Mm-hmm. So what one of the things we're doing at Easter, and this is one of the reasons I love that it's in spring, by the way, Spring is that season where after a long, hard winter, especially in Chicago, where you are, you start to see things bloom and pop out. And it's a sign that there's a there's something coming. There's yeah. something new coming. And that's the story of Easter, that what we're telling the world, that there's a new world coming. Yes, things are hard and difficult, but after this long winter, 
uh, God is creating something new in Jesus. And I, I just think people are going to be more acutely aware of it this Easter, uh, maybe more than other years. Right. Well, we're just a week or so away from Holy Week, and I wanted to talk to you about this. I love the way you framed your book, The Villains, Heroes, Cowards, and Crooks Who Witness History's Biggest Miracle. <laughs> How did you come up with that, Dan? Come on. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, uh, it's interesting, just all the different people that are caught up in, the, in this in this story, you know, uh, and, and I really want to profile the heroes, right. Or the people we come to love mm-hmm. some of the disciples or the women at the, at the tomb, but also the infamous folks, sure. your Pontius Pilate and Judas and the religious leaders and yeah. others. And we have things to learn from them as well. We do. Yeah. So give me an example. Well, I think my favorite character is Peter. Not surprised. Peter exemplifies, I think all of us, I probably spent the most time on him. It's so interesting, Wayne. Um, Peter started his journey with Jesus. He was a young man. We forget how young he was. Twenties. He's in Capernaum, which is a, you know, the most important port on the Sea of Galilee. He's part of a fishing business with James and John. Him, Peter and Andrew brothers, mm-hmm. fishing business with James and John. He had a good life. They were doing well. His interactions with Jesus are interesting. Jesus slowly pursues Peter. It's not a one-time thing, but first Andrew meets Jesus through the ministry of John the Baptist. And Andrew comes back to Peter and says, we found him. Which if you think about that way, and that's so remarkable that here's a first century Jewish people. These are these are smart guys. They're not gullible. They're not naive. They're probably a little jaded about, you know, the promise of a coming Messiah. For Andrew to say, I think we found him is remarkable. You can see him grabbing Peter by the lapel and saying, (laughs) we found him. You got to come with me. And they have these interactions with Jesus. Jesus uh, heals Peter's mother-in-law at Peter's house. Peter has some gathering for Jesus. They probably meet, pass each other in the synagogue and in the marketplace. But then there's this moment where they have a very bad day at the office where they can't catch fish. This was their livelihood. So a bad night on the sea meant they didn't make money. They didn't have money for their family. You know, it'd be like not getting paid for a week or mm-hmm. just, you know, having a bad day. They come, they're about to come in. They're they're bone tired. Think of like on a Friday after after a long week. Jesus comes by and he's they know who he is and they followed him. He says, Hey, why don't you try throwing the net on the other side? Which no one wants to hear. No. <laughs> like what, telling me how to do my job. This miracle happens and then Peter falls down and worships and sees that. Jesus is Lord of creation. And Jesus says, follow me. So they, they follow him and they don't know what this means. They don't know everything, but they followed him. So I'm, it's, it's inspiring to to read Peter through his ups and downs. He's the bold one to declare Christ. Uh, He's also thinks he's very strong and, you know, I'm not going to be the one that these other turkeys are going to abandon you, but not me. He thinks he's strong. He thinks he can defeat Jesus' enemies, and he ends up making a fool of himself. He cuts off a soldier's ear. You know, he's a fisherman. He's not a soldier, right? Then he denies the Lord in that famous scene where uh, Luke paints that haunting picture where Jesus, he gets a glimpse of Jesus after he's denied him the third time. He's at this low moment, and then Jesus restores him with the same miracle on the Sea of Galilee of the fish and calling Peter to be a leader in the church. Then you see Peter in the book of Acts preaching to thousands. 
And so what happened had to happen with Peter, he had to be emptied of his own self, emptied of his bravado and fake courage, and he had to be filled with the Spirit, and God really used him. We're learning about the characters of Easter with Dan Darling, and we'll continue the conversation in just a moment. And there are so many stories of God at work through the Far East Broadcasting Company. We just had to find a way to tell more. Well, you know, Wayne, hearing all these testimonies has absolutely changed my life. And I want to use a podcast to be able to go deeper with some of the real stories that I get to see as the gospel's going out all around the world. And these stories will change your life, too. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms, or go to febc.org. My guest is Dan Darling, the author of The Characters of Easter, The Villains, Heroes, Cowards, and Crooks Who Witness History's Biggest Miracle. We were talking about Peter a few moments ago, and I think of Peter, and I think of Thomas, and I think we see them as so one-dimensional. We think of their failures. Mm. But think of what they gave up to follow Jesus Mm -hmm. in the first place. Uh, we already talked about Peter. I mean, Thomas, you know, mm-hmm. we we relegate our thinking of Thomas to, you know, he wants proof of the resurrected Jesus. And uh, I don't, I think I'm correct in saying that he never does actually reach out and touch G- Jesus, does he? No, he just, he just sees the, the scars and that was enough. And you yeah. know, it's interesting thing about Thomas, Wayne, is again, we think of him as doubting Thomas, which is so unfortunate. We flatten him to that one thing but thomas gave up everything just like the others he was chosen to be in the inner 12 right to, mm-hmm. to be to follow jesus and if you actually see the thomas only the bible only records three times of thomas speaking the gospels do the first time he speaks is if you recall the story where they uh they get news that lazarus is sick and and dying and they're debating whether they should go back to Bethany. They know it's going to be very risky. Jesus' enemies are there. And the disciples are debating it back and forth. Thomas then pipes up and says, let's go die with Jesus. <laughs> he says, basically, this is what we've signed up for. And if this means we have to go and die with Jesus, let's do it. I mean, think of the courage to say that. But that was his whole, that's why he signed up for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die with Jesus, which is really what every disciple is called to do. The next time we see Thomas, it's in the upper room when Jesus is laying out this vision for what the future is going to look like. And they don't understand it. It's confusing. He's going to leave. He's going to die. He says, I go to prepare a place for you and I'm going to a place where you can't go. And Thomas has a great question. You know, he, he seems to be analytical. He seems to be the one that he's going to follow Jesus. He's going to die with Jesus, but he wants to know the specifics. He wants to know what he's getting into, which is wise. And he says, how can we know the way? In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just show me the way. And Jesus says, of course, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And then the third time with Thomas is obviously the, the moment of doubt. What I find so fascinating about that moment, Wayne, is... um. You have two scenes in the upper room where Jesus appears after the resurrection. The first scene, the disciples are up there. They're huddled. They're scared. The door's locked. They know he rose. They think he did because the women told them. Peter and John are affirming it, but they don't know what any of this means. And then Jesus appears to them and says, you know, fear not, it's me. And they they see him. But Thomas isn't there. And, you know, you could read in the gospels that there's a hole. They felt like 
this is really great, but it's not complete without our brother, Thomas. And you can imagine that he was probably just very despondent. Everything he'd put his hopes and dreams in had been dashed. The one he had given his life for, he's ready to go and die with Jesus. And he'd been unjustly tried. And why, why is this happening? But they pull him to Jesus, which shows you the importance of community. They drag him from despondency and doubt toward Jesus. The next week, they're in that same place where they had had the last supper with Jesus, where Jesus had appeared to them. They're like, Thomas, you got to come see this. And Jesus appears again. And, you know, Thomas had said, unless I see the nail scars, unless they touch them, I'm not believing, which I think he was just being hyperbolic saying, Mm. guys, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Unless you show this to me, I'm, well, then it happens. And Thomas response is the response every person should have when they see Jesus, my Lord and my God. Like if Jesus is risen from the grave, then the only, the only response is to see him as our Lord and our God. And tradition says that he actually went to India as a missionary and evangelized India and planted this. And was martyred like many of the disciples. Yeah. Interesting. We have so much to learn from these characters. We really do. And when I say characters, it's in the frame of mind that you, uh, you use in titling your book, the characters of Easter, the personality of these, uh, of these people. Uh, You write about the crooks. Uh, you write about Judas and Pilate and Barabbas and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. You want to you want to pick out a crook and let's talk about them. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, I'm fascinated by the the bad guys in here too. Uh, one one um, f- that fascinates me is Barabbas. Yes. Yeah, I, I was hoping you'd zero in on in this fact, one. There's a part of me that one day would love to write a novel about Barabbas's life, you know, or something, because mm-hmm. here's a guy who was. Um, he was convicted of insurrection and he had, he had committed that him and these two other guys, you know, there's a spectrum in Israel in terms of how they felt about Rome. Everybody dis- disliked Rome and didn't like to see that Rome flag flying, except for the Sadducees. They, they liked their power, but everyone else didn't. The Pharisees didn't, but there was a spectrum and, you know, Barnabas was on the far end of that where he was wanting over, you know, violent overthrow. He was kind of a mercenary. He would, he was almost like a domestic terrorist. Um, so he was guilty of the crimes he committed. He was not well-loved. You can imagine him in that cell waiting. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be crucified, which was just a, a very embarrassing way to be to die. Um, he's probably writing letters to his family. Maybe he's rethinking his life. Maybe he's, he has a lot of regrets. Maybe he has a final meal. I don't know. And then all of a sudden there's a knock on the cell door and a guard opens it and just says, you're free. And he's thinking mm-hmm. something, is this, is this right? Yeah. Or maybe he doesn't ask questions. He just goes. But I wonder if Barabbas, the rest of his life, like Jesus had taken his place. He knew Jesus was innocent. He knew he was guilty. Did he ever? Yeah, and likely, I mean, it was a small country. Yeah. Uh, he, likely, he 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 had heard of this Jesus. At the he very absolutely least, right? had. Yeah, I mean, did he ever? I like to think in my sanctified imagination that he not only saw Jesus taking his place, you know, literally in this trial and this death, but spiritually, did he ever come to mm-hmm. see that? And in a sense, at yeah. Easter, all of us approach Easter as Barabbas. We are guilty before God of things we've committed against Him, against Him. 
and Jesus took our place. I just think it's such a powerful story. I, I, I like to think one day we'll see him in heaven, you know, as the sort of avatar, the microcosm of the, of the gospel, of what Jesus did for yeah. us. He and the thief on the cross will be buddies yeah. in heaven there, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll have stories yeah. to tell yeah. us, won't they? If indeed that happened in Barabbas's life. We know it happened in the life of the thief because Jesus said he would yeah. join him in heaven. Absolutely. Paradise. I mean, maybe there's a, mm-hmm. maybe we'll find out that there was a, you know, first church of uh, whatever that Barabbas was the pastor. <laughs> first, for, first church of Yeah, Prince, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> and revolutionaries. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you write about many of these, and we're just touching uh, a few of them as we have this conversation. But um, I smiled when uh, I read the section of your book called Nick at Night. You talked about the secret believers, Nicodemus, Nick at Night. Yeah. Well, and I I love the story of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They're secret believers. Nicodemus was a powerful religious leader. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a minority as a as a Pharisee, most of them were Sadducees, but he met with Jesus at night. There's so much symbolism there in John that you're talking light and darkness. But I also think he met with Jesus at night because he was really serious and he wanted to get away from the crowds and have a serious discussion. Probably didn't want to be seen with this revolutionary. Um, and Joseph of Arimathea, you know, sometimes we read their story and we criticize and say they were, they should have been outspoken. They should have publicly declared for Jesus. But I read that as them waiting for the right moment to publicly declare that they were in a very difficult position. And God doesn't call everybody to be flamboyant about their Christianity in a way that mean Nicodemus truly, I think was studying Jesus, following him. Uh, He come him and Joseph come to get the body of Jesus after Jesus death. If they didn't do that, Jesus would have been buried in a common grave, unmarked grave. So Joseph gives up his, his tomb. But then they, they declare their allegiance and their following Jesus at just the right moment. You know, For them to take that body and to identify would be risky. They could lose their social status. Their, he could lose his spot uh, as a member of the Sanhedrin. He was saying something by being this religious leader and essentially affirming Jesus. And I think of folks who are in difficult situations, maybe in closed countries and they're Christians and they're trying to be wise about how they navigate their faith, um, how they talk on social media, or maybe people that are in difficult environments, whether it's in academia or other places that are very hostile to, to the story of Jesus. I think Nicodemus and Joseph kind of speak for folks like that. Like when's the wisest time to speak out? Well, this conversation has been a good one as we are about to enter into Holy Week and consider anew the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dan Darling has been talking about the characters of Easter with us, and we'll place information about Dan's book in our program notes at firstpersoninterview.com. And then on Easter weekend, Michael Card will join us as we look at the details of the burial and resurrection of Jesus. As always, I'd like to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for making this program possible through their support. FEBC believes in the power of the gospel to change people's lives. If you'd like to learn more, listen to the FEBC podcast until all have heard. Visit febc.org or listen on many favorite podcast platforms. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us once again next time for First Person. First Person.